Lord, we thank you just so much that, that we are able to gather here this morning in your presence. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that does not just see where we're at and leave us there. Lord, but that you are a God that is ever challenging us to be closer and more like Jesus. God, I pray that during this time, as we dive into your word and how it applies to our life, God, that you would remove every hindrance between us and your truth. Lord Jesus, any, any wall that we have placed, any preconceived notion that we are believing that is a lie, God, I pray that those things would be stripped away. Jesus, and, and for this time, God, can we just hear your voice? Lord, many of us have, have relatives that don't know who you are right now or maybe aren't following you. God, we each have friends that, that are burdening our hearts, Lord. In the quietness of our hearts right now, would you, would you say those names? Lord, as a church, we stand together and say that we believe. We believe that you are not ending the story here. God, and for those, those names that are represented, those people, those lives that are in, in this room in spirit, God, we, we, we lay hands on their lives. We ask, God, that you would infiltrate them. God, that you would place specific things in their lives that would draw them closer to you. Jesus, that you would give us courage to speak boldly when we need to, to listen quietly when we need to, Lord, and to constantly be reflecting your Son. God, we love you so much, and we ask that you would completely envelop this space and this time. It's in your precious and holy name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, we're going to jump right in with some scripture right off the bat. So careful, don't get whiplash. We're jumping right on in this morning. Uh, Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22, it says, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur, which I thought was kind of a clever name. Like, hey, you want to go there? Sure. Uh, uh, they traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Now, I want you to go here with me this morning. We all know the story of the Israelites and the Egyptians. We've seen the, the movie of Moses, and he's trying to get his people free from slavery. So he goes to his brother Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh's like, nah, dude, that's not happening. And so he goes again, and he says, no, but seriously, let them go. And he says, yeah, right, you know, and this, this happens like 10 different times, and there's plagues and wonderful things in the Bible, and God moves mountains, and suddenly Pharaoh's response is, okay, fine, take them. And so he does. He takes them, and they cross the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is actually like split in half, and they walk on dry ground, right? 
Anybody see this movie? Picture this in your head right now. Okay? And they walk across one of the saltiest bodies of water in all of creation. Like, the Red Sea is so salty that it rolls its eyes at you when you walk past it. Okay? Um, that was a terrible joke, but thank you for laughing. Okay? Um, and so they make their way through the Red Sea, and they're not leaving like you know, this wasn't a planned trip. You know, there's not an itinerary. There wasn't a packing list. They were like, oh, we're not slaves anymore. Or run out before he changes his mind. And so they run out. And so three days passes, and they have no water in the desert. I wonder what that would have felt like. You know, day one, walking away from the Red Sea, knowing you couldn't drink it anyway. And walking forward, trusting that the God that they trusted was going to take care of them. Day one, you're getting thirsty. Day two, you know, grandma's passing out in the back. Uh, day three, you're wondering if you're even going to make it. Did they start to see uh, hallucinations? Did they start to see mirages and think maybe there's water? And throughout all those days, suddenly they hear a voice from the front of the crowd that says, Look, that's not a mirage. That's actually water. And they get to the oasis of Mara, and they splap this water into their faces, and as surely as it touches their tongue, they spit it out. Bitter water. Wouldn't that be the worst way to die? Dying of thirst, staring at this body of water. Water everywhere but not a drop to drink. Water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. I want to welcome you to our new sermon series, Love Stuff. And we are talking about barfy, beautiful, biblical romance. And my one disclaimer for you guys is that this is not just for married folks. <laughs> this is not a marriage series, actually. This is a romance series. So if you are single in the room, like our wonderful worship leader pointed at herself, uh, <laughs> this is also for you. And you'd say, well, what does this have to do with my romance? What does bitter water have to do with this topic? And so before we get there, I want to pray, because I like to start every single sermon series with a prayer that, that puts this at Jesus' feet. So would you pray with me? God, we are going to be diving into some serious topics over the next five weeks about love. God, and we know that you created it, Lord, you are the master of it. Lord, that uh, this is a huge area of our lives, one that trips us up, one that confuses us and derails us. Lord, but we believe that you are not a God of chaos and confusion, but you are a God that leads us closely in the middle of the desert towards water. In Jesus' name, amen. So water everywhere and not a drop to drink. That's actually the title of my sermon this morning. Water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Because like any romance series, we're going to start with the heaviest topic in the room being sex. And some of you guys are like, oh, cool, I'm glad I woke up this morning. You know, this is exciting stuff. Uh, but, but we're going to deal with that. And I think that water everywhere but not a drop to drink is the perfect analogy for sexuality in our culture. See, sexuality is everywhere. Everywhere. Um, did you know that we are changing so much drastically in our history? One historian was quoted saying, we used to just pray that we wouldn't die from the bubonic plague, but now we want a hot tub too. 
You know, that, that's our lives, and our expectations are rapidly changing. And we have things accessible at our fingertips 24-7. The average American in 2017 looked at their phone 150 times a day. 150. I will be the first to say I thought that number was kind of low. Okay? You know, that average in 2017 was every six minutes. Every six minutes, we are looking at our screens. And this is the culture that we grow up in. And it, it goes into romance, because how do we meet people? You know, my sister, I love teasing her because she's older than me, right? Like, that's a little sister's job. Um, but she's seven years older than me, so she's always, like, one life stage ahead of me. But when Erin was my age, she was going to clubs, right? And not like Bible clubs, okay? <laughs> I mean, she, she was going to clubs. She was not Wesleyan, so she was dancing and doing all sorts of extracurriculars that we probably shouldn't do. And she was meeting people face-to-face, and something would spark face-to-face, and then they'd, like, get to know each other. 2019, that is way too much work, <laughs> Right? We have all sorts of things. You know, we have OkCupid, we have uh, Match.com, we have Plenty of Fish, we have Hinge, we've got Christian Mingle, you know. We have all sorts of things. And then there's this 800-pound gorilla of Tinder. And single folks in the room, you can just pretend like you don't know what it is. It's okay. It's okay. Um, There's this 800-pound gorilla of Tinder. And Tinder, uh, that incorporated something that was new, that had never been seen before, uh, where it would bring up a picture of a person, and you would make a middle school snap judgment on, do I want to ever meet them, right? And just for, like, the sake of our conversation, this is my giant smartphone, okay? (laughs) And And the picture would pop up, and I would say, Do I want to meet them? Swipe right for yes, swipe left for no. Snap judgment. I'm not really asking any other questions except for, is there a visceral response that I'm having to this? Swipe right. And Jimmy Fallon, in one of his stand-ups, he says that this is becoming so ingrained in our culture that the other day he was putting his eight-year-old to bed and she swiped left on his face. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) But this is who we are. We swipe through these people. And not asking, you know, will this person make a good grandpa someday? Not asking serious questions of, you know, do they have good values? Do I... Do they have something? Do we have shared interests? No, just swipe, 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 swipe. <laughs> and we're sorting through people, and that's just the dating world. Uh, sexuality is everywhere. Think about this for a minute. Think about the size of the internet. I don't even know how to quantify that, okay? terabytes, megabytes, I don't know. But I don't know if there's some huge room of computers that the internet is stored in. Point blank, I have no idea. But, but think about the size of the internet for a second, okay? This is everything from your personal storage, you know, to social media, to all those selfies that you've taken. You know, this is government agencies, documents, bloggers, those stupid recipe videos that I always get sucked into on Facebook. Okay, the mass of the internet, okay? Out of that mass, 36% is pornography. 36%, that is over one-third of that entire mass, is pornography. USA Today said that it is everywhere. 
pornography actually gets, the pornography industry gets more clicks per month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And I will tell you, I'm like half of the clicks that Netflix and <laughs> Amazon gets, so I don't know how that's possible. Uh, <laughs> but it is possible. USA Today, they did an article in which they said that the average American sees pornography by the age of six. Six. At six, I was still a firm believer in boys had cooties, you know? <laughs> and I still kind of am. Um, <laughs> but that is what the facts are lining up with. That there's sexuality everywhere. Because there's, everything is accessible to us with absolutely no accountability. Everything is accessible. Water everywhere, not a drop to drink. Everything is accessible, and nobody but me and Jesus probably know that I have seen it or looked at it. And so how do we grow up in this era? You know, I didn't get to choose to be a millennial, okay? That'd probably be my last option, quite frankly. Um, and it's not like I can say just, you know, shack up, churn butter, you know, isolate from the rest of the world. That's not an option. And what you're not going to hear me say throughout this entire message is don't swipe for the rest of your life. We have to figure out a way to, to live healthy, holy lives in the midst of a culture that is one swipe away from destruction. And so how do we do that? See, the internet has created a privacy like none other. And this is not a new issue by any means. Uh, Forty years before the Israelites drank bitter water, I want to show you what, what Moses encounters. And it's the same thing that we encounter today. Exodus 2, verse 12. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He looked right. He looked left. He had the feelings of passion and vengeance. And he killed a guy and hit him in the sand. Why? Because he looked this way, he looked that way, and seeing no one said, I can get away with this. And what I'm going to suggest to Moses is what I would suggest to you is that we need to get into a habit where we don't just look to the left and to the right, but look up and realize that God has not created a single location on this earth where you can hide from him. And that what we think we get away with, we don't truly get away with. Listen, the reality is, is that the internet has created this privacy like none other where we can destroy our future spouse with a click. Where we can ruin our futures and our marriages and our children with a swipe. And only you and the Lord really know about it. So maybe this morning you are looking at me, and some of you guys, like, you need to see your eyes right now. I can see all the white around them, okay? <laughs> You're like, woofta, I did not have enough coffee to talk about sex this morning, okay? Um, maybe you're thinking, like, can she say that? Um, she knows she's a pastor, right? Uh, maybe you're thinking, like, Lindsay has said the first half of what rhymes with Texas a lot, like, and I am feeling uncomfortable. And I would say, like, just let it out. We're all middle schoolers at heart, so, like, let out a little laughter. It's okay. It's okay. Breathe. And I want to read this quote to you from Levi Lusco that it has just torn me up this week. He says, pastors are people 
who get up on stage and answer questions passionately that no one is asking. See, the reality is, is that romance is a huge part of our life. What rhymes with the first half of Texas is a huge part of our lives. And the biggest lie that the enemy wants to feed you is that God doesn't have answers for the biggest areas of your life. That he doesn't only talk, he only talks about the things that aren't awkward, that don't make you blush. And Satan would love for you to think that he is the ruler of sex when God created it to begin with. So first thing that we got to lock in today, and I want you to say this with me as it comes on the screen, God isn't afraid of sex. God is not afraid of sex, okay? Um, he is not. Like, like, what does God want for your life, in, in your sex life? He wants it to be banging. Like, he wants it to be good. Like, he wants you to be blessed by it. I know. Like, thank you. Can I get an amen hallelujah? You know, I don't know. Like, God wants you to enjoy this aspect of your life. This is actually the first gift that God created to give you besides the nap, okay? I count the nap because glory on God, God in his highest. You know? um, let me read you in Genesis 2. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. Verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, which I plan on doing this afternoon as well. Like, sounds phenomenal. Uh, and so we see this, like Jesus, or God, he says, take a nap, Adam. And when Adam wakes up, there is a naked woman in front of him. And I <laughs> Sorry, gotta push through it. Got, um, he, he looks at her and, like, let's just be real here. Um, this is not recorded in scripture because I wonder how it went down. You know, he wakes up and he's like, whoa, uh, hey, <laughs> you know, you, know you, you come here often? And, she, you know, and she's like, no, actually, it's my first time, came out of your ribs, you know, like, hello. <laughs> and you know that Adam loved what he saw. And I can tell you this, because he wrote a poem about it. Men, help me out here. If you, we would need some serious inspiration to write some poetry, right? Okay, he writes a, a poem. He says, bone of my bone flesh of my flesh, you know, what is this, you know, this is like the missing lyrics from a Marvin Gaye album, what is this, you know, I don't know what, what to do with this, and the Lord is, at this point in history, he is walking through the garden with these people, and he doesn't jump out from the bushes and say, Adam, you perv, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't interrupt it, because this is this beautiful moment where God himself delivers the bride, like the father of the bride, and says, it is not good for you to be alone, my child. And we think, we get this idea that somehow, like, sex is just this necessary evil to make babies. And God is a very clever God, guys. He made Adam from dirt. If the whole purpose was just procreation, he could just sneeze on earth like once a quarter and we could have people, okay? But he didn't. He chose it to be something enjoyable and pleasurable and fun and beautiful and what I hear amazing, you know? He chose it to be this. And if you don't believe me, read Song of Solomon, an entire book dedicated to this topic. Or Proverbs 5, may your wife's breasts satisfy you always. 
Some of you married guys, that's like your pickup line of the week, you know? <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but, but it is a pleasurable thing, and God is not afraid to talk about it. God is not afraid to be a part of that, part of your life. Not saying that, like, you know, Jesus is in there with you, but just there is a topic that we need to surrender. And it's a, it's a pleasurable thing, which is, gosh, I hate that word, pleasurable thing. But sex isn't just pleasurable, it is also powerful. It isn't just pleasurable, but it is also powerful. Anything that is powerful, it requires some sort of parameters. So think about this. You go down to Home Depot and you buy something powerful, um, like a chainsaw, or something that I think nightmares are made out of, a chainsaw on a really long stick, okay? And you get that chainsaw, and you open it up, and there's all these stickers and labels and warning signs and like cartoons with their fingers cut off and a whole bunch of things. There's like a manual in all different languages. When you see all that stuff, do you think, oh, Home Depot hates me? Do you think, oh, Home Depot just doesn't want me to have fun? No! You think, wow, Home Depot doesn't want me to cut my freaking arm off, you know? <laughs> and that's what you think. You're like, wow, this is a pretty powerful thing. And the same thing is true. Why do we assume that, that when God gives us rules and warning labels, that he's so to, like, snuff out your fun? Absolutely not. He doesn't hand you a chainsaw and say, hopefully you don't cut your finger off. No, he gives us parameters and rules. You know who does do that, though? is the enemy. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan would love for you to believe that he holds the market on sex. But the reality is, is that he has come to steal. He has come to steal joy from your life. He has come to steal joy from your household, from your marriage. He has come to kill your future family and your kids. He has come to destroy your life by giving you a multitude of addictions at your very fingertips. Now God is, he knows that this is powerful. And so he gives us rules. And they are so short. Like you could get a back tattoo with this, okay? Not saying you should ever do it. Um, but, but he gives us rules. And they're, they're pretty simple. Genesis 2, it says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That's so barfy. Um, now the man and his wife were both naked, but felt no shame. And I love this verse because it ends in a promise. It says, uh, the man leaves his parents, the woman leaves her parents, and they are joined together. And at the end of this verse, there is this promise that they are naked, vulnerable in front of each other, and there is no room for shame. Meaning, there's no way for the enemy to break into your bedroom. See, God knows that sex is a powerful thing. Think about it in terms of fire. Fire is a very powerful thing. It produces light, warmth, energy. But if we put fire in the wrong context, it's destructive. Put a little fire on the drapes, see what happens. Put a little fire in the forest, see what happens. We live in Colorado. We are no 
virgins to, <laughs> to uh, forest fires. We know those very well. In the same way, God says, you have this powerful thing that has to stay in the right context. And if it doesn't, it has the power to ruin something incredibly beautiful. Listen, this isn't like purity, purity pledge Sunday, okay? I promise you that. But this is something bigger than that. It is committing to trust God with a very powerful, potent piece of your life and trust him that he has your happiness in mind. Next thing, it's okay to have a sex drive. It is not okay to let sex drive you. See, not having a, like, having a sex drive is not the problem. You know, you were just born with it, okay? It's kind of like when a refrigerator comes with an ice maker. You know, it just happens, okay? Uh, this is the same kind of thing. You have one, and that's all right. But, but every single desire that the Lord has placed in your life, he finds and he gives you a righteous fulfillment of that desire. Well, let me show you what I mean. If you have a desire for vengeance, the Lord provides a holy fulfillment of that through forgiveness. If you have a desire for anger, the Lord provides peace as a righteous fulfillment of that. And the same is true for sex. And Blaise Pascal, he actually uses this to prove the existence of God. He says that every single person in all of creation, they crave something that this world cannot satisfy, which is immortality. Every single person in all of creation has always questioned, where do I fit in? What is the big picture? And he says, why would I crave that if I have never experienced it? He says, we are immortal beings created by an immortal God. And the fact that we crave it proves it. In the same vein, like, I don't ever crave to have a third hand because I've never had one. <laughs> And C.S. Lewis, he takes this a step further. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And maybe this morning you're like, my desire is sex. The righteous fulfillment of that may be that God is saying no, but he's not saying not ever. He's saying, not now. You have no idea what the beauty, beauty looks like past today. He isn't trying to leave you high and dry. He isn't trying to smother your fun. He created it. He created it for a holy, anointed, super awkward, beautiful fulfillment. And that's just biblical. Um, that, that's, just, that's just from what Scripture says. But the data, it actually supports that. Um, gear up, guys, because these are studies that are staggering. It says uh, those who, have, who do not have a history with pornography report that they experience more fulfilling sex lives. Women, women are twice as likely to experience orgasms in a committed relationship than on a casual relationship. Lord have mercy, I just said that from the pulpit. Uh, <laughs> but some of you ladies are like, Jesus, if that's what it takes, I'll sign up, you know? I don't know, but, but God is not trying to keep pleasure from you. That's not his game. 
He doesn't want to do that. Time Magazine, it did a, a cover story on pornography, and it said that active, sexually active single people are the highest rates of having depression, of not being able to perform in the bedroom, and of having poor physical health. This is killing our generation because it's everywhere and not a drop to drink. Swipe away on your phone. The internet is streaming constantly, and studies show that it is desensitizing our generation because there is sex everywhere, and yet nothing quenches it. As soon as we lap it in our faces, we spit it out and say, this is bitter. Kind of reminds me of a pineapple when you think about it. <laughs> I know, best, best sermon transition ever. Okay, um, The pineapple, when the original settlers came over to the Americas, they found this weird fruit. And they say, what do we call this weird fruit? It looks like a pine cone, but it's juicy like an apple. We'll call it a pineapple. I know, brilliant, brilliant. Okay. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> they take it, and they take boatloads of it over to England, and people are just mystified. Oh my gosh, it's a pineapple. And, and to give you kind of a, a point of reference, for them to buy a pineapple, it would be like today if we spent $8,000 on this bad boy. $8,000. This was a special piece of fruit. So special, most people wouldn't actually eat it. They would just display it until it went rotten. Okay? <laughs> I've done that before, so I get it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> they would display it until it went rotten. They would actually have uh, pineapple viewing parties where they would cover it up in like a cloth, like a pineapple, like striptease or something. And they'd be like, look at the pineapple, you know, I can't believe it, you know, and this would be this huge moment for them. And, and you would never eat a pineapple. And when, if you did, it would be like the pinnacle of existence. Oh my goodness. I ate a pineapple. And people would tell stories of when they once ate a pineapple. They would even tell stories of, I saw one the other day. And you even see this in like cathedrals. It's built into their architecture. You see pillars that have these sort of patterns on them and have pineapples and this porcelain. It's a pineapple. And now, uh, Elizabeth picked this up for me at the neighborhood Walmart. She was, really, she was really nervous it was going to be a prop today, I'll be honest with you. Uh, but, but she picked me up this pineapple at the neighborhood Walmart. And the pineapple hasn't changed, but it's incredibly commonplace. Now it is like one of the least glamorous fruits that we have. You know, it's kind of difficult to get open, and I'd rather buy it canned, if I'm being honest. And, and yet the pineapple hasn't changed. Our attitudes toward it have. See, the sex hasn't changed, but our attitudes towards it have. God intended it to be this beautiful, exotic, wonderful pinnacle of life experience. He intended it to be like, you know, you're a part of this exclusive club where only you're allowed in, you know? He, 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 he impacted us and said, this is the image that I have of this beautiful moment when two people come together and, and they, are have, they have no shame in their lives. And it was supposed to be beautiful and set apart. 
Not wishing that you didn't have the memories that you had when you were six years old because somebody didn't tell you that it takes a second to look at it and a lifetime to forget it. Not having regrets, but having this wonderful, special thing. See, there is water everywhere and not a drop to drink. In fact, there was a woman in Scripture like this. Uh, She had gone through the ringer with relationships. Uh, She actually had been married five different times. Five different times. And after you've been married and committed to somebody five separate times, nothing really seems special anymore. Nothing really seems sacred anymore. And so she decided that she wasn't going to have Mr. Right in her life. She settled for Mr. In Front of Me. And so she shacks up with a guy, and the more we know about this woman, the more our heart breaks for her. And it says, uh, one day Jesus meets her at a well, and it says this, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Sound familiar? Bitter water. He says, this may may get you through the night, but listen, this will not satisfy you. Verse 14, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this is beautiful. This is the reason we started in Exodus. This story is beautiful. That God has the power to take whatever is bitter and the cross can make it sweet. What is bitter, the cross can make it sweet. Because when we're standing at the waters of Mara, in front of bitter water, look at what happens in Exodus 15. Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Why a tree? Because in Genesis 3, the knowledge of good and evil hanging from a tree. At Mara, that, that tree was tossed into the waters to make it sweet. And we look towards a future glory when Jesus would be hung on a tree so that you and I would have a relationship with God. So I don't know where this hits you this morning. This could mean that, man, I need... I need to realize that God's timing is not something that has it out for me, but it's a powerful thing. Maybe this morning you say, this changes my relationship with my spouse. This changes our priorities. Maybe this morning is the first morning that you've realized that this topic doesn't have to hold such a weight in the dark. This, this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if there were people in this congregation that were open and willing to have conversations with people that have no idea what they're doing, um, myself included. <laughs> people that would give their lives and their purity and their testimonies to make sure that other people are protected. I don't know what that looks like for you. 
But I'm going to invite you into a, a posture of prayer this morning. And we're going to close on this song, The King of My Heart. And I'm going to actually wait to, to close in prayer after. Because as you find yourself in a posture of prayer, I want you to ask, Lord, what do you have for me today? What is the truth that, that resonates with me this morning? And how can it impact my life? So would you take that posture of prayer with me?